If chocolate is your weakness, the real chocolate decadence of Flava Naturals Performance Dark Chocolate can be your strength. Extensive research demonstrates the remarkable benefits of daily cocoa flavanols on brain and heart function, including a recent Harvard study showing a 27% reduction in cardiovascular death. The FDA recently issued a qualified health claim saying that high flavanol cocoa powder may help prevent cardiovascular disease. It may even be a helpful tool in managing cognitive decline. Flava Naturals Dark Chocolate Bars and Cocoa Powder deliver five to nine times the flavanols of typical dark chocolate with great flavor and minimal sugar. Their secret is sourcing premium high flavanol cocoa beans and processing them naturally. The result is decadent dark chocolate with the flavanol levels needed to fuel brain and cardio performance. I use it every day. For more information and to order, just go to flavanaturals.com. There you'll find the extensive research behind cocoa flavanol's benefits and great recipes too. That's flavanaturals.com. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. A very timely subject. We're going to talk about uh, immunity. Uh, a great book, Immune Reboot, your guide to maximizing immunity, restoring gut health, and optimizing vitality by my good colleague, Dr. Robert Silverman. And this book is highly appropriate because immunity is the elephant in the room these days. Uh, we are uh, in the uh, sort of end game of COVID-19. Uh, we're lifting some of the mandates. Uh, we're lifting some of the uh, absolute vaccine requirements, uh, but it's still around. People are still coming down with COVID. Uh, recently, ironically, there was a meeting of the CDC, uh, and uh, I believe it was 168 people came down with COVID uh, in spite of the fact that uh, this group was a highly vaccinated group of people. Uh, the... Uh, uh, proposition that uh, I have advanced and that Dr. Robert Silverman shares is that uh, in spite of the potential benefits of medications and vaccines, uh, some of which have proven uh, leaky uh, and only partially effective and sometimes associated with a host of side effects, uh, we really need to pay attention to the terrain, our underlying uh uh, immune system and, and there are ways of uh, abusing our terrain and there are ways of cultivating our terrain and uh, this book Immune Reboot uh, beautifully summarizes it, it very much uh, in line with uh, uh, an article that I penned uh, entitled uh, interestingly enough Immune Reset which you can get at drhoffman.com just use the read drop down menu and that's a free document available to you but uh, Immune Reboot uh, goes into much greater depth uh, with specifics uh, and specific protocols. So uh, just to introduce uh, Dr. Silverman, he's a, he's a chiropractic physician. Uh, he's a clinical nutritionist. Uh, he has a master's of science degree in human nutrition and uh, many other uh, credentials in the field of clinical nutrition. Uh, he was once named Sports Chiropractor of the Year in 2015, and uh, he has over two de decades of clinical experience. Uh, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you practice uh, in Westchester here in the uh, Northeast. That's You have an active uh, practice. Is that correct, Rob? That is correct. I'm in White Plains, White in Westchester. Indeed. And so uh, we're, we're going to uh, get into some specifics because uh, – 
kudos to you because in this day where uh, offering nutritional advice about uh, COVID uh, has actually uh, in the early days of COVID in, in uh, spring of 2020 when COVID was emerging, uh, people could literally receive uh, FTC warning letters for having the temerity to suggest that uh, vitamins and supplements could play a role in supporting uh, immunity uh, in COVID. And we've come a long way since there. Uh, now with the publication of your book, which lays out specific protocols uh, and uh, kudos to you for we're not, you're, you're, first of all, laying some basic groundwork about nutrition and lifestyle and its impact on nutrition. That's all fine. Uh, but then applying it specifically to our COVID uh, conundrum. So great stuff. So, you know, just to uh, introduce this, um, tell us a little bit about uh, the immune system and, and why we should pay attention to lifestyle, why that makes sense. That's a great starting point. You know, I, and I'd like to start all my talks about the immune system real simply by saying you can't control the virus, but you can control the host. Mm -hmm. And I really think that piggybacks on some of the themes that you talked about earlier about, you know, we can't control the virus and the spread of it in the air. But we want to make ourselves a powerful, inhospitable host for pathogens. That said, um, most people really, and, and I, I know you come across it, don't understand that the immune system actually provides three levels of defense against disease-causing organisms. And the first line of defense, or which we call our barrier system, which prevents entry, is our skin, number one, and also our mucous membranes stomach acid, digestive enzymes, beneficial bacteria that live in the colon, our gut microbiome, our ecosystem. So it's been postulated that the first time the outside world meets the inside world is when something goes through the digestive tract. You know, our body's an amazing organism as well, you know, in that if we, eat, if we were to drink motor oil, you know, we would regurgitate or we would blow it out the back real quick because it's trying to protect our body from absorbing it. But that first line of defense is our barrier system. The next two people know a little bit more about, and our second line of defense is our innate immune system. It's our general defense. Everybody has it the day they're born. Then trophils, they're macrophages. They are our 365, 24-7 security guards. They're sentinels, they're stealthy and all that. They engulf and destroy foreign invaders and damage cells. They try and work in balance or sync, if you will, with our adaptive or acquired immunity, hence the idea acquired. You know, we talk about children going to school, getting the flu, and coming home and then getting another condition, et cetera, et cetera, because they are acquiring an immunity, sort of like a specific defense. They're broken up into two specific parts, B and T cells. T cells come from our thymus. Now, our thymus gland is interesting in that it's the first gland to go through involution, it goes through involution in our teenage years. So what does it say for somebody like me in my 50s? My thymus gland is probably not producing a heck of a lot of T cells right now. And those T cells are critical to pathogens and they recognize foreigners. It's the notion of what's called immunosenescence, which is that as we age, uh, our T cells and other arms of our immune system become less efficacious at fighting things off. Immunosenescence is a fabulous term. I love that because, unfortunately, in many people, we don't have cells that are immunosenescent or they don't die, and then they become, if you will, the zombie cells. Mm -hmm. 
walking around the, the living dead and they're spilling out all these cytokines and inflammatory markers. A great ad. And turning it back to that adaptive immunity, we have the B cells, which in the B cells, they come from our bone marrow. There are antibodies, IgA. IgE, IgM, and the big one is IgG. They're interesting in that these specific antibodies target and destroy infected cells. So that's a basic overview of a three-line of defense of our immune system. So, okay, so these things need to work in tandem. You know, we often hear uh, about boosting your immune system. This, that, or the other substance boosts our immune system. How is that an overly simplistic notion? Because we know that an over-exuberant immune system may play a role in a lot of autoimmune diseases and may even play a role in severe COVID. Yeah, I think boosting our immune system is an improper term, as you just alluded to. So we want to be able to balance our immune system. Ultimately, we would want an immune system that is immunoresilient. Mm -hmm. So how would we do that? Well, obviously, typically most people's immune systems, as you said, are hypervigilant or dysfunctional, hence the idea of autoimmunity. They are confused, so they're reading these molecules in they're producing something called molecular mimicry. Molecular mimicry is a molecule that passes the gut that mimics another molecule. The problem is that we have something called protein sequences. They're kind of like zip codes. And if the zip code is close between a molecule, this dysfunctional immune system gets confused and attacks itself. So antibodies, which are our protection, now become autoantibodies and attack parts of our body and structures. So, for instance, a great example, and I know you talk a lot about this, gluten and dairy. Gluten and dairy molecules have a protein sequence that mimics the cerebellum. So when an immune system is confused and these foods pass a proverbial leaky gut, they attack the brain. So I think one of the biggest problems with COVID was that there was a high incidence of autoimmunity associated with it. Mm-hmm. So, so our experience with COVID has been really a teachable moment about the immune system because we see such a differential response. We see some people having, you know, a minor respiratory infection, a little cold-like uh, symptom, maybe with a little fever. Uh, they quickly recover and they don't experience any long-term sequelae. Uh, and yet other people uh, have devastating uh, problems with COVID. Uh, people have died. People have uh, been uh, relegated to the ICU. Uh, others develop long COVID. So what have we learned, you know, when we study uh, how various uh, lifestyle factors may impact uh, COVID outcomes? I think there, there are now some pretty substantial findings. Absolutely. And I agree with you with the sequelae. You know, a normal immune response to infection is simple. We get some information, maybe raise a fever. We stimulate our innate immune system. It's in sync with our adaptive immune system. There's resolution and we have memory. Unfortunately, with COVID, the, with SARS-CoV-2, the inflammation started too high and it didn't shut down. So it lasted for a period of time. I think the backbone of what we're supposed to do in an immune system is to manage and modulate inflammation. And I think that's gone awry. And I think one of the things that COVID brought out was that the American populace was inflamed, the average American mm-hmm. 160 pounds of sugar, 146 pounds of gluten, 142 pounds of artificial sweeteners. We are without question unhealthy to kind of 
exemplify what you're talking about with the current diet and status of lifestyle. When you go through the immune system, you have less innate immune cells because of this diet issue. You get more virulent factors that may not launch with the adaptive immune system. You slow to resolve, and some people didn't even take memory, meaning they didn't even have any or produce any antibodies. So that's an issue. And I think that, um, I know you read the book, one of the studies that I talked about, about when we compared the U.S. versus the Japanese population, really exemplifies this greatly. The U.S. and the Japan was almost equal in the percentages of people who were vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Yet the U.S. had 12 times higher rates of COVID, not percent, but times of COVID cases, over 17 times greater chance of death. When you look at the prevalence of obesity, American men were 7.4 times greater than their Japanese counterpart, and American women were 10 times greater um, prevalence of obesity. So that being said, what do you think the backbone is? Diet. We Americans consume much more saturated fat, considerably less omega-3 fat uh, fish oils, 400 times more beef, and that's not grass-fed beef, that's that grain stuff, soy stuff, and 235% more sugar and sweeteners, whereas when you compare what the Japanese ate, they ate about 45% more fish, slightly more rice, but 55% more green tea, EGCG, which is probably one of the most potent nutrients to prevent blocking of docking of specific spike proteins on our ACE2 receptor sites. So, so we talk about uh, comorbidities, and the, this is a, a word virtually unknown to the average American, but has become really propelled into the lexicon. And the, the comorbidities for COVID are precisely what you alluded to, uh, hypertension, diabetes, overweight, uh, immunosuppression due to, uh, you know, say, cancer chemotherapy or uh, medications used to suppress the immune system for conditions like uh, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, psoriasis, things like that, that does render people more vulnerable. Uh, so uh, clearly, uh, there are lifestyle factors that enter into the equation. Oh, absolutely. Here, here. And I mean, I, I think that we've gone through almost three and a half years. We've got through a lot of renditions of vaccines, which is a very viable, effective tool. But the bottom line is, it comes back to the same thing. How do we make ourselves a strong but yet hostile host to pathogens and it's all on lifestyle what we eat how we exercise do we meditate what kind of water what's our environment like critical lifestyle factors and what our health condition is in that like you said if you had autoimmunity you had a dramatic incidence of covid positivity and long covid are you overweight remember fat cells we all have them but engaged fat cells, big fat cells, people who are more corpulent, if you will, fat cells are depositories for toxins. So, you know, the heavier you are, the more toxic you are, the more inflamed you are. So lifestyle is a predicator of all health outcomes. And interestingly, even when it comes to long COVID, you know, we used to think, well, there's a certain randomness to long COVID. We recognize that, uh, yeah, you know, if you're overweight or, you know, if you're diabetic or uh, 
hypertensive, have cardiovascular disease, you're going to be more at risk for COVID outcomes. But when it came to long COVID, it was thought to be kind of a crapshoot that uh, there was a randomness to this. But now studies are coming out suggesting that uh, diet does matter. And that recently there was a study that even looked at sleep patterns and long COVID just, just came out, suggesting that women who have uh, disturbed sleep patterns have a greater propensity to long COVID. So that enters into the equation, too. Sleep is a critical lifestyle hack. I mean, we've got a lot of people out there that are now guru sleep experts. We know Dr. Matt Walker is one of them. Mm -hmm. And we talk about getting seven to eight good quality hours of sleep. It was very funny. I was talking to a friend of mine. I was texting. And he said, look, Rob, um, can we pick this up in the morning? It's almost 10 o'clock. I need to go to sleep. Now, I'm a New York guy. Some people would say, hey, we're in the middle of a conversation. You can't do that to me. But I was imbued with enthusiasm that he was finding it important Mm -hmm. enough to take care of himself. I don't have a problem with that. I don't have somebody who says, can we go for an organic vegan meal? It's all good. But in reference to long COVID, absolutely. I mean, most of the people that have come in my office, I'm sure as well as your office, are people that have these comorbidities and haven't taken care of their health much more often than the trimmer, thinner individual. Indeed. So when it comes to uh, diet, uh what should be what should we be thinking about for optimal immunity? I mean, uh, vegetarianism, yes, has benefits because you're going to get all those plant polyphenols. But some vegetarians may skimp on protein, and we know that that's uh, essential. They may uh, skimp on essential fats. So, do do we need a balance between uh, a carnivorous diet and a diet that is uh, plant based to achieve optimal immunity? What what's the formula? I agree. I mean, I think the Mediterranean diet has come out as the winner for um, COVID or preventing COVID. However, the biggest takeaway is don't eat carbohydrates. If you consume Mm -hmm. 300 calories of sugar, you will decrease your immune system by 50% for a two-hour period. So I used to travel when we were all masked up in the airports. And understandable, a a viable option, but everybody in the airport other than me was online for a Starbucks Frappuccino. Mm -hmm. It made no sense. There's a study also that talks about adherence to healthy lifestyle prior to infection decreases the risk of post-COVID by 50%. So the takeaway there was maintaining healthy weight and taking adequate sleep conferred the greatest benefit for post-COVID prevention. So again, in the lifestyle, you want to avoid certain foods. I have certain acronyms I recommend. They're in the book, uh, Immune Reboot, as we said before. Number one would be GPS, no gluten, no processed food, and no added sugar. DNA, take care of your DNA. No dairy, no nicotine, no artificial sweeteners. No deep fried foods, no vegetable oils. There are no vegetables in vegetable oils, they're seed oils. Nothing may be more egregious to a deleterious effect on your body than seed vegetable oils. I would follow an anti-inflammatory diet. I would keep my glycemic index and load down. For me, believe it or not, I'm a big proponent of detecting and avoiding food sensitivities. I think they're the hidden crux of a lot of chronic inflammation. And lastly, another everyday hack would be watch your environmental overload. In terms of uh, environmental toxins, uh, airborne pollutants, uh, water and foodborne contaminants, uh, things along those lines? 
Absolutely. Even if it's simple as going from regular coffee to organic coffee, because coffee is the third most pesticide sprayed item mm-hmm. behind cotton and tobacco, just that little hack, the filtered water, like you said, all great changes. Keep the toxins out. You know, do you, do you medicate um, a, a dirty fish in a bowl or do you clean the bowl? Indeed. And what about the role of uh, exercise? Because I think a lot has been made of the role that uh, fitness plays in uh, overcoming uh, bad COVID outcomes. I mean, clearly, you know, if you're going to have a a disease that raises your uh, temperature and uh, makes your blood circulate faster, it's a little bit like running a lap around a, a track. And if you don't have good cardio uh, vascular fitness, uh, you may be more likely to succumb. Absolutely. And so I'm a big proponent of exercise. I try and recommend everybody get 15 minutes a day, 45 minutes if you can. Cardiovascular is great, keeps your heart in great condition. But I think one of the hidden gems or the secret sauce, if you would, would be keeping muscle mass. So we've talked about muscle mass and longevity, mm-hmm. but I believe that muscle mass is the currency for good, robust immune health. Well, yes, there actually are studies that list frailty as one of the comorbidities. And, you know, people who, uh, you know, uh, have, uh, you know, little thin, uh, uh, you know, uh, stick-like legs and a big pot belly, uh, that's a hallmark of, of frailty as, as people age. So uh, could you define frailty a little bit and, and talk about how to uh, fend off that that inevitable process by which we lose muscle mass? You know, as we age, Tufts University spoke about in 1998 that the first sign of aging and loss of immunity was sarcopenia, the loss of muscle mass. So we inherently, as we age, have a problem with protein synthesis. We just might be able to put muscle on as well. That said, it's really incumbent on us, you know, especially someone in my age bracket, to make sure there is some weight resistance there. Now, if I want weight resistance, obviously I need to mix some proteins in there. So you had said about a a vegetarian or vegan diet, maybe not enough protein, maybe yes, maybe no. I'm going to definitely, you know, check that with you and say I'd like to see some proteins, you know, make protein a priority, like organic type of uh, dishes, wild smash fish, salmon, mackerel, anchovies, sardines, herring, grass-fed type of meats. But you want to mix them with fruits and vegetables because you need the proper enzymatic reactions. So to avoid the frailty, we've got to exercise. And to avoid the frailty, you not only have to exercise, you've got to eat a good, health-conscious, muscle-promoting diet. So some people say, well, you know, I exercise, I, I walk daily, you know, I'm doing the requisite uh, 10,000 steps. Is that enough or should we be incorporating uh, resistance training in a program to optimize our uh, lean body mass and immunity? Absolutely include weight training, body resistance. You know, people, when, when I say the word weight training, you don't have to deadlift 500 pounds. That would be great. I'd be impressed. But, you know, weight resistance, body weight. So I try and tell everybody if they can exercise 15 to 20 minutes a day for six days a week, three days of weight training, three days of some sort of cardiovascular walking, I think they'd benefit. Now, we all know that you benefit from walking after a meal. So if you're able to walk 10 minutes after every meal, that's 30 minutes of walking a day. You add your little weight resistance, body composition type stuff, you're really going to have a... um great outcome and definitely have more longevity, health span, immune strength, etc. 
Is there such a thing as too much of a good thing when it comes to exercise? Do you encounter patients who are pushing the envelope and thereby suppressing their immunity? Well, you, you let everybody know that I'm a chiropractor. So over two hours of exercise for those triathletes, those very uh, enthusiastic type of exercises have shown to actually compromise the tight junctions in the gut and promote mm-hmm. leaky gut. So, yeah, there is too much of a good thing. If, if you're really... I exercise 45 to 60 minutes, six days a week, and I found that to be a very nice amount of time dedicated. It's great to blow some steam off. It's great for mental well-being. It's also good for um, doing something with my wife. We try and exercise together. We, we exercise differently, but we're still there in our home gym together. So yes, to answer your question, is it too much of a good thing? That's not a typical problem. That's more isolated incidences with people. But mm-hmm. yes, over two hours is something to be concerned about. Yeah, because we can see a higher incidence, say, in marathoners, uh, that they tend to come down with respiratory infections uh, in the wake of a really uh, strenuous, high-output, sustained uh, uh, event. So, yeah, I mean, but, you know, that, that's more the exception than the rule for uh, our average listener. It's just a matter of getting mobilized. Yes, and, and it's true. You know, it's funny because I've had the opportunity to train and, and um treat a lot of athletes and a lot of practitioners and people take it for granted they see lebron james and they don't think he can get a cold they don't know that these guys you know tonight's the game one of the nba championship these guys are going to have to rest after they play indeed they're going to have to recover they have a compromised immune system and look at the percentage of these elite athletes who are young and look how many incidences of covid they had and by the way, thanks for the reminder, because you just made my uh, evening agenda. I wasn't sure what I was going to do with myself, uh, you know, after the usual round of cable news. Uh, so uh, uh, thanks for the for the tip. You know, I got to I got to watch uh, uh, the heat go up against uh, uh, the uh, the Nuggets. nuggets. That's a yeah. very interesting matchup. Uh, good stuff. OK, so uh, uh, Dr. Rob, in part two. One of the nice things about your book is that you did not shy away from making very specific recommendations for COVID prevention, for acute management of COVID, uh, and for dealing with long COVID. And you also have uh, a very interesting section where you talk about, you know, if you are going to get a vaccine or a booster, uh, what are some of the ways that you can reduce the likelihood that you may experience side effects? Because side effects are real with this vaccine. Uh, there may be uh, a technology that enables us to, you know, we can't eliminate that possibility because there's a certain Russian roulette aspect to the side effects associated with the vaccine. But uh, we can, uh, by various means, uh, mitigate uh, the potential for serious side effects. And you address that, uh, you know, to your credit in the book, and we're going to get real specific in part two. So stay tuned. Uh, by the way, just uh, for our listeners uh, who are curious about you, um, the book is Immune Reboot, available from all the usual sources. Do you have a website? And uh, can you give us some information about your practice? Sure. com, located in White Plains, New York, Westchester County, right outside the great city of New York. Okay, and uh, so, great. We'll uh, pause, as our listeners know, and in part two, uh, we'll get into some real specifics about uh, supplements to support immunity, uh, to address COVID, uh, to address long COVID, 
And importantly, if you're contemplating the vaccine, things to consider taking. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast.